Welcome everyone to the X Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip. And today we are joined by Gregory Wright. Gregory, how are you? I'm good. It's uh, the weather's not too hot today, so uh, that that's that's nice. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this in the midst of summer. This is coming out in October, where hopefully it will be cooler on average for all of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Minnesota, the past week, we had a couple days that were just heat advisories pushing a hundred with the humidity to push the heat index higher. And it finally, we have a nice weekend. People are out enjoying the state fair. Yeah, we went on a hotter day. <laughs> yes, we were there on one of the hot days. It was nice and overcast at the state fair, and then the clouds went away. <laughs> yeah, once we were done with our tabling obligation. Yeah. It was cloudy and breezy while we were tabling and then once we were free to enjoy the rest of the fair it got very hot <laughs> did you yes. guys get uh that that horrible uh smoke from canada up there all summer we've been getting smoke yeah. from canada so we got it here in new york and it, it was weird it was like it, it suddenly turned into the walking dead outside you know it turned greenish brownish yellow it was it was wild and i'm like wow yeah, we had a, a record number of air quality alerts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had that. We had that. So, you know, fortunately, you know, I have a collection of masks from COVID. So I would go outside with my mask for that, <laughs> um, which was weird because in it, I don't know if you guys got it, but it smelled like a rotten campfire around here for a couple of yep. days. It really did. Yeah, we've had spans of that for like a few days or more a few times this summer. It seems like at least once a month we're getting wildfire smoke. Yeah, and I think at least one of the days it was mixing with one of the industrial smells down by where I live. Oh, it's fun. like you walk outside and it's a double whammy. Ugh. Like we're just going to keep all the windows closed for the next <laughs> yeah, however long it takes. <laughs> yeah. Um, on top of weather, we're here to talk about Daredevil Annual number nine. And we have you on for a specific reason, Gregory, because you wrote the main story and one of the backup stories. I did. So um, we're going to dive into it a little bit. We have it right here in front of us. Um, and then there is a second backup story that we'll also touch on. So uh, heading into this annual, we talked a little with Gordon Purcell about how he was notified about line-wide things as an artist. Um, because he did the Wonder Man annual this year. So um, as a writer, what information or tools or directives did you get when it came to, all right, Daredevil annual number nine is yours, but well, you need a new character? Right. Well, that was, I mean, Marvel had started doing this thing with annuals where every annual was either a big crossover or groups of annuals would be crossovers. And um Back when I wrote my first backup stories in the Daredevil in a Daredevil annual, I think it was number five, maybe maybe four. Um, the editor liked my backup stories better than the main story and said, "I want you to write the annuals from now on." And I thought that's fantastic. So it was just an assignment that I was going to get. I didn't have to ask for it. It was always there, and I would be given, like you said, a, a directive each year for what it was. Or I even came up with a couple of them. But this particular year, every annual had to create. A brand new character that was the big directive so we had to the first thing we had to do was think up uh, a character that we were going to then use in the annuals and the hope was that that character would you know spin off into other books or that character would you know hopefully 
uh, oh, look, somebody created an awesome character. Now we can do a number one comic of this and we'll get a bunch of sales before we cancel it on you before you actually tell your story. But that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, when they said, oh, you got to create a character, um, that's kind of a weird thing because usually you create a character because you have an idea for a story that requires a character or you've just kind of been thinking about uh, characters. The other thing is you want to decide, well, do I want to create a character for a company that gets to own that character um, or not? Um, and a lot of creators don't like to create characters for that because they don't like owning it. Uh, other creator, creators figured out, well, if I create it for Marvel, it will actually get shown. Um, and, you know, we sign these character uh, agreements. So let's say they decided they were going to do a Devourer movie. I would get a little bit of money. Um, if they did a comic book series about the Devourer, I would get a little bit of money, but I would get a little bit of money every single issue. Um, sure. They do a trading card. I, they think they did do a trading card, and we got a we because uh, I didn't create this character on my own. Scott McDaniel did the visualization of it. Um, so you have to kind of decide what do I want to give. And I, I was and at the time I was very into um, Mayan uh, civilization. Uh, and there's a bunch of stories, even in Silver Sable, I, I did an improbable story where they go back into Mayan civilization. So I thought, <laughs> well, you know, how about if I create a Mayan character? I'll base it on that. I was also very into really nasty, uh, horrible horror sort of characters because I was working with Clive Barker. So I thought, well, I want some horrible thing. Uh, and I was fascinated with, um, you know, hell. So uh, what I came up with was... Uh, uh, the, the Mayan hell, basically, Shibalba, uh, and they were, used, they were ruled over by these lords of death, and their, their job was basically to bring uh, pain and suffering <laughs> to the world. So I thought, well, how about if uh, I, I have a, a Mayan artifact that uh, somehow changes somebody into this uh, lord of death who will run around and create all kinds of horror for horror, and that'll, that'll be fun for me. I like that. Yeah. So I, I sort of I came up with that and they sent what I did to Scott and Scott did a, a really cool visualization based on because I, I also sent him a bunch of Mayan art. Okay. So he kind of, he, I don't think he looks very Mayan, but, uh, you know, it's a cool looking character, I thought. Um, and that was that. So that was what we had to do. So once we created that, and I, I think these are there's a card. I I don't have one anymore. I was looking to see if I had uh, the card or anything. And I. But I seem to remember that they had cards for, you know, that came in the annuals at the time. They, they did. Yeah, bagged annual that had like a card and whatever in it. So, yeah, so that was that was the directive. Other than create a new character for the annual, there was no other directive. It was you have to create this new character and you have to use it and feature it prominently, which okay. is what we did. Yeah. And it's a full cover, too. Like, it's got um your new character with daredevil plus the some scenes in the backup as well yeah from glenn hurdling's backup story as well so everything in this issue is touched on on the cover which is cool because um sometimes you don't get that and sometimes the backup stories are just there as a backup story rather than more incorporated like this one seems to be yeah like so from the cover from the gecko it seems engaging and um like visually appealing yeah it's dynamic well as yet scott mcdaniel is uh tr tremendously talented the thing about this cover that i don't like is it looks like daredevil's gonna fight all these guys at once and he doesn't you know <laughs> yeah 
So that always bugs me, you know, as an editor, I, I like covers that, I mean, I like covers that are, um, that, that are kind of like this, that show everything. But at the same time, I don't want, I don't like it when a cover lies to the reader. Um, and when I look at this cover, the way it's colored and everything, I think that the main character, the, the main person that we're going to see in it is the, the, the Craven-like lady, uh, mm -hmm. Glenn's backup story. Uh, and then, you know, I can remember when I saw the cover, I was like, well, who's the guy with the horns that's fighting Daredevil? Because he's not in my story. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's like my perspective. So it's interesting for you guys. You look at it and you go, wow, this is really engaging. This gets me to want to buy it because that is the entire point of the cover. It's not yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter what it does for me. It doesn't make a reader go, hey, I think I'd like to read that comic. Um, and it clearly did that for you. So that's um, that's really cool. We so we open Devouring Madness. Yeah, it's a great title because it, it right there it sets the stage for Devourer. Um, what a stupid! Name. I don't know where why I couldn't come up with a better name. <laughs> Devourer, like really. You, in in hindsight, do you know what you would change it to? No, I, you know, guess <laughs> some of this stuff you you you're working so fast that you'll you'll come up with a placeholder name or idea. And if you don't think of something better before it's too late, um, you know, it's a fine, you know, it, it's a fine, de decent enough, but it, it's, it just seems like a weird thing to say devourer. <laughs> and um, yeah. we actually engaged one of our artist friends to do a commission of devourer. Oh, cool. Um, for this season. So I'll make sure to send over that image to you so you can see. Oh, it. I love to see that. I love yeah. seeing when other people do stuff uh, that I haven't seen of, of characters that I had something to do with. Yeah, that's awesome. I've never seen a cosplayer do the devourer. That's the, so. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> so Daredevil is in action right from the get go in this issue. There's an oh, action yeah. splash page, and the cool thing about the art is like you're getting it from the perspective of one of the people in their night vision goggles as Daredevil is about to punch them in the face. Like you get the cracking, or he is punching. Yeah, the goggles are starting to shatter a little bit. And it's a, a museum heist yeah. they're going after. We love a good museum heist moment. Who doesn't? I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen all the, the Night at the Museum movies and stuff. And, you know, those, that's right up my alley. This whole idea of, you know, being in a place when it's closed. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know um, why that's appealing, but it is to me. I'm the facilities manager for a natural history museum. So oh, I can cool. I can attest that it is fun being in a museum and getting just to take your time looking at the exhibits and everything, um, but not stealing like these fellows are. Well, no. So no. I, I would like to mention the the artist on this, John Hebink, was the, the artist that I worked with on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hmm. Um, and so he he actually, he and I actually worked on several things. Because um, when you once you start working with somebody and you enjoy working with them, when you get another project, sometimes you'll suggest uh them so this was nice to have john get to work on on this which is much different than shield um and the inker is fred fredericks who you may or may not know was the main uh artist on the mandrake the magician comic strip oh uh, today so yeah when that kind of folded uh he he moved on to inking and uh i was very fortunate because i also worked with a guy named stan drake who um you might remember the heart of Juliet Jones and Kelly Green, but he also was the main artist on Blondie for uh, yeah. many years. Oh. Uh, and Fantastic. he shared the studio right across from Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh, wow. 
So he he and Bill Sienkiewicz were very good friends. So when Stan was looking for some more work, Bill sent him to me and I was like, Stan Drake, oh my God. So <laughs> I was able to get Stan to work on a lot of other work for me. Um, so it's kind of interesting where all the, the connections start to happen, you know, because uh, John wouldn't have been doing this if I hadn't met him, but I met John through Mike Manley because when they gave me Shield, they said, find me an artist. And I went, okay. So I called Mike Manley. I always wanted to work with Mike Manley on a, on a book. He was busy. And he said, well, how about John? I'm like, who? Uh, so he gave me John. I gave John to the editor. The editor hired John. Uh, John went from that to this to, I believe, Quasar. Okay. I think oh. after that. Uh, and Fred Fredericks just inked. I mean, I hired Fred and he worked on stuff all over the place. So it's it's kind of fun to, when I look back at these, I go, oh, yeah, I remember all these. Although, <laughs> weirdly, I didn't color this. Usually I, I colored my annuals and I didn't color this one. And I, I would like to go back and fix some things. The color. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, and I'm also glad that you like the like where he punches the guy in the uh, in the night vision goggles because I I tended to write things full script so I describe the visuals of what I would like to see uh, and John was great in that manner because I would I would write you know very descriptive things and he would figure out how to make that work because the way I might describe it you might have you read it you would like that sounds stupid um, but John would figure out how to make it cool and and that is one of those panels that i think i just think that's so cool to get that pov through the night vision goggles because then it it lets you know a that has how how they can see um and b it's kind of i don't know it's just fun and i like the way that the cracks worked so you can tell that it's you know cracked so yeah it's a nice point of view change too um instead of just like third person off hovering mm -hmm. over everything you can see yeah. what the but just these generic tension, what they're seeing, and it comes back again at the another bottom of the page, when with their night vision goggles turned on, someone turns on the lights, which smart move. Yes, and it's the regular security guards who uh, just stumble into a situation they probably don't want to be in. No, they and they shouldn't be because there's a buck on a villain and the baton bounces off and hits one of the guards in the face and breaks his nose yep not then that's not going to be good news in like two pages no no and it's <laughs> i feel like it's more graphic than we've seen in a lot of um a lot of the annuals that we've covered so far yeah the blood is actually red in this annual which we're going through all of them from this year and we think we've seen green and gray yeah like the different color variations so it's um you can tell it's blood but it's not as graphic but yeah. this is allowed to be read in this it issue depended you know at, at because of the comics code at the time it kind of depended because i'm not sure at some point they decided we don't care what the code says and the code really didn't stop so uh, there were points where you you had to color the blood purple or they would just make it black um but yeah here they just let it go um uh and i was kind of surprised uh, to see that or again maybe it was because it was so late that the code didn't you know they didn't the code didn't necessarily see the color because um, no, no. with the comics code you were kind of self-regulating you know and, and marvel had their their own way of doing it and i think at this point i don't think yeah uh, jim shooter was gone at this point um and tom kind of let us do a few things that weren't permitted when Jim Shooter was around. Um, but yeah, there was a lot more blood. And I, I tended to write more violence than <laughs> <laughs> and some other people. I, I you know I, I was 
I don't know. I was really mean to my to the characters. <laughs> <laughs> I did appreciate the how the text of the person changes to reflect that his nose is now broken. Broken. Yeah. And the that's that's a fun thing. You know, when you're writing stuff, you know, what I, I want I I always wanted the dialogue to sound like you could tell who was talking, whether you saw that person on on it or not. So I, mm-hmm. I would usually cast um an actor uh as every single character and then i would write it as if that actor was speaking and, and hope that that would come through mm-hmm. but yeah when, you know having them get hit in the face and then they talk different that's fun to do but sometimes you do it and people go what the hell is that guy saying <laughs> yeah it has to be one of those things that's executed just right yeah so i think it worked you know i mean it worked for me yeah. the editor thought it worked so I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned it because I I love doing that. <laughs> no, it's a it's a nice detail that gets added in, and uh, um, the crooks are arrested. Everything is fine. There's a nice wood onomatopoeia. Yes, I I do love a good onomatopoeia in the comics. And um, the object that they're trying to steal, it's put in a back room, and some blood got on it. And its eyes start glowing hot pink. So as, as it does. Yeah. So we know that we're in for a mystical time. And there's a fun transformation, like on the next page, at the a series of inset panels across the whole page. Mm-hmm. I thought that was well done. Yeah, Devour is born slash reborn um, as a result of this idol getting a blood sacrifice. And the effect of the transformation is really cool, too, because we see the object or artifact become outsized almost um, in terms of visualization. As the transformation happens, there's a good skull motif. There is a good skull motif. Um, And the two splash pages that we have here, one of the the sort of eyes mental transformation mm -hmm. almost is put up against... Um, with the oranges and the yellows is put up against blues, greens, and purples on the next splash page of the physical transformation. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I thought that was really neat. And yeah, that comp- Don did a great job with this. I had, you know, the, the big thing I had told him was to think of the um, American werewolf in London. Mm. Um, ever seen that um, there, there was a great, you know, you know, the first time he transforms and, uh you know it, it was just very effective and that's what you know john decided uh, to do it and he really he worked his tail off uh on this but yeah i thought i still not happy with all the color <laughs> but, yeah. but uh yeah i like the I, I do like the the two different sort of ways they did the color i think john actually put a color note in for the colors that he wanted to see okay oh, I, I seem to recall him doing that and even the way the panels are breaking down for the mental versus physical transformation, the physical one is not traditional boxes. No. So um, you get a lot more irregular polygons. Yes. And uh, sort of overlapping within the panels as well. Yeah. Versus the rectangles from the the mental transformation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of those things where I, I, I like it for and to me, comics, it's such a great medium. Because you can do things like, like this, give it different panel shapes and and different, you know, outline way of outlining it to help tell your story. Because um, if you know, he could have just done it with you know a six panel grid 
and it mm-hmm. could have worked just fine. But when you see it all broken up like this, it, it gives you a very different visceral visceral uh, effect as as a, a reader. Um, and that that's kind of the point of comics is you know you have to use the words and the pictures and the visuals to you know in any way you can to create whatever effect you're trying to, to get for the reader. And then we get the the large spread on the following page. We see Devourer in all his glory. Yes, for the first time. And frightening. Uh, it's a scary looking character. There are some mighty big uh, canines happening. There's a big scary knife. Yeah, he picked up that scary knife on the previous page. So many, many. I could see it better with the, with the color. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, this page drives me crazy. <laughs> oh. Well, it's one of those pages where I want it, I want the character to just pop off the page, mm-hmm. you know. But the knife is dark against the dark ceiling, and then the um, the background is almost the same color as he is. Yeah, there's a lot of brown. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's a he. I'm not really sure now that I think of it. You know, I didn't I didn't even consider. You know, is it a dude or a boy or a girl or both? I don't know. Yeah. It <laughs> devourer is gender neutral. So could be. anyone listening to this episode, devourer can be who you want them to be. Yeah, yeah it could be, you know, because it's definitely, you know, I mean, you know, the the guards transformed into this, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, they would not have let me do that back then, though. Um, no, that, that would have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I got away with a lot of that kind of stuff in Silver Sable very true yeah you not notice you know a lot of things i did um as subtle as i could um but the people that uh picked up on it uh got a little extra story (laughs) and matt murdoch is outside this museum just sort of wrapping up the case making sure that the crooks get into the cars and um we get a little preview of your backup story here actually where he talks about you know I'm not getting any sleep. Yeah. So um, we see you pay that out in the first backup story, which we'll get to in a little while. Not yet. Teaser in the episode. Um, but he well, oddly, you know, I I did a couple annuals in which the backup stories were happening at the same time as the main story, and I had them uh, crisscross uh, mm. a little bit, and I thought that was a really fun way to do an annual. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't always work. But um, but I, I'm very happy that you noticed. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you put all this extra effort in and, you know, you get none of the letters mention it. Nobody mentions you're like, well, did, should I not have spent all those hours trying to figure that out? <laughs> and decades later, here we are noticing it. There you so. are noticing it. So therefore, yes, go. I, I was right to do it in the first place. You were um, back inside the museum. Devourer it gets the other security guard. Gets a snack. Yep. And yeah, because everyone thinks that, oh, it's fine. He was just putting the artifact back, yep. like case closed. He had a bloody nose. It can't be that bad. Yeah. And this guard was just trying to be nice and check up on his partner. Yeah. And got eaten for it. So well, we open the next day to a courtroom scene. Yeah. And we see Matt Murdock lose a case. Unexpected. Yeah. Very unexpectedly. And his client is really upset, understandably. And he's like, what have you been doing? I thought you were trying to help me. I'm, I'm paying you. Um, and I'm innocent. And Matt Murdock is like, we'll get it on appeal. Trust me. Just, I know I just lost this case for you, but let me handle the appeal. 
and it'll turn out better next time. Starting whole, from, I, my whole thing of trying to make this a Daredevil story because it's really not um, was I liked you know much like Spider Man I like how their 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 them their superhero life always seems to have an uh, an effect on their non superhero life. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't see that a lot with daredevil and i thought all right i want his superhero life to mess up his lawyer life uh here and it and it cost this guy uh his case mm -hmm. you know, this this was because matt's been too busy and not getting any sleep uh and i i, I kind of like that idea that you know he's aware of this and that weighs heavily on him no matter what he's doing um so that was the, that was the whole point of of this particular case so and it works well because we uh, also see him find the newspaper with the guard found slain and i like this i do sort of like this moment for him where he's like oh i messed one thing up and now this other thing got messed up like what it throws him into some degree of consternation which like is sometimes <laughs> oh, what's that I like the word consternation. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but it's nice to see our heroes deal with it sometimes, especially when they have these double lives. And like, it's not all roses and bunnies. Yeah, and he goes to uh, the author of the article to see what's going on. Get, like, the, we, get oh, the deets. Yep. So how do you get this information? What do you know? Um, so that he as Daredevil can go off after him or after them them yeah yeah who wh whoever slayed this guard and um at the same time we cut to devour thinking about daredevil so that's nice that they're thinking about one another in some way <laughs> shape or form and we get sort of the backstory on devour and devourers um because this is not the first one no nope. So it, it stretches back, like you said, Gregory, to the Mayans. And um, the Devourers were created as a tool of this netherworld god. Yes. Yeah, it sure does seem like a Daredevil story, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it should be more of a Doctor Strange story or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but this is the thing that happens. Sometimes you, you know, you, you think up a story and you say well i have to do it for this character and you just sort of plug them in and mm -hmm. and they can't have a monopoly on mystic plot lines no daredevil deserves no, a mystic not. plot line why not um, he deserves to have something trying to eat him too yes so uh, we go to uh, the quintessential couple in the park yeah the buck be eaten yep they're talking about like oh uh, we're going to get married and uh, spoiler they're not because <laughs> they they get devoured um and he the male in this couple gets it first and then she tries to run away and that doesn't work out no but it does give uh, daredevil something to work on after he leaves the museum he's on site at the museum investigating and picks up an odd scent, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. His heightened senses, and it's nice that it, he has, you draw attention that he is more than just echolocation. That smell is an important factor to him, and he's like, all right, well, I smell something odd. 
Um, he's getting more details on what the statue was um, and what the lore is behind that statue. So he's getting the breadcrumbs to work with. So he has the scent, he has the backstory, and he's like, maybe, just maybe, this is a Doctor Strange story that I'm in. <laughs> So, or a Batman story. You can slide Batman into here right pretty easily. Uh, true. Um, he follows the scent to the park and the murdered folks. And that's right at the Bethesda Fountain, too. Yeah, R.I.P. Um, they're not looking... One of the things you do and you try to do, especially since we use New York, is you try mm -hmm. to give the artist something to draw. Um, otherwise, they will just draw cereal box backgrounds that suck. Um, so finding you know here's here's what the museum looks like here's here's a fountain that's very pretty that i like so maybe you could draw that fountain um and then you don't you know but what you know he could have just drawn woods i guess but having fountains very cool but that took him a lot more time <laughs> um, but it gets it, it was a, easy a, for me to say hey draw me this <laughs> uh and it's like okay that's gonna take me four extra hours thanks <laughs> but you get a more definite sense of place though for the story mm -hmm. Right. You know, if you if you know anything about New York, you're like, oh, Central, that's Central Park. Um, and and it, once again, didn't he colored the water brown? So. No. <laughs> Who doesn't like swimming in brown water? Um, I don't. <laughs> um, Devourer is up in a tree looking over um, and Daredevil senses like it, I can smell right above me. And we, it's cool that there's a panel devoted to the extrasensory perceptions that Daredevil is picking up. Mm -hmm. It's too that bad it didn't print as as nicely as it it looked on the original. Mm. Um, it's a lot oh. more clear, um, but when it printed, a lot of the, the white line work on that looks to me it, it kind of closed up, which is too bad. Yeah, uh, the printing wasn't great back then, so you had to be very careful. Um, when you did certain types of effects, if you used very delicate line work, sometimes it would not show up at all. Mm. Uh, when you did stuff like this with the black and the white line art, sometimes uh, that wouldn't show up quite as well as you, you were hoping it was going to show up. That That's kind of too bad because it was really cool looking. Um, all of those were really cool looking when in the original. Yeah, I mean, if they look, if I think they look neat now, I can only imagine that how much yeah more crisp lost, yeah. yeah yeah they were just clearer so you could see it better you didn't have to go what is that oh there's a tree back there so daredevil gives chase to devour and steals a bike and does some really cool bmx moves um <laughs> i appreciate that he's like i can't keep up with him on foot i need something else thank you <laughs> let me borrow this bike he sorry. said sorry i'll return it as he yanks the person off their bike he does a cool trick where he's bouncing the back wheel off of Devourer's head. Um, <laughs> thus saving a small child. Yep. Uh, Devourer uses their knife against the baton and slices it clear in half. Yeah. As uh, Daredevil tosses it at them. And, and there's a big thrap. Like, there is. It's a fun battle. Like, obviously, we're still in Central Park, so... We have the location. We see the idol around Devourer's neck. So we know that it's still playing a part. Yes. And I like the the sort of scream, like Devourer's getting a power up. 
mm. and then go for the swipe and then gets the solid hit. Like it's a nice progression. Wait, what? I gotta see look at that again. He's, the power's having a moment sort of like the Tyrannosaurus in Pantasia when it in the Rite of Spring movement. Yeah. Like he just shouts, there's the beams coming from behind. Daredevil tries to jump over and Devourer gets a backhanded thwap. That's cool. I didn't do that on purpose, but I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the police then shoot at Devourer um, because kids are like, over here. There's something happening over here. Um, Daredevil hit him with a bike, which is an apt description of what happened. Um <laughs> Devour gets away. A very Scooby Doo. I will be back for you, Daredevil. Um, so the bullets didn't really make much of an impact at all, and we know that Devour is fast because the cops are like, "Look at him go!" And um, Devour is like, "You know, I need a disguise. I'm going to I need to blend in. I need to be another person." Um, and it's a cool transformation where you can see the sort of reverse progression of Devourer into a human again. Um, so uh, it, what Devourer didn't get rid of was their musk, which yeah. which Daredevil can still track down and tracks down to a nice concert in the park. <laughs> so um, Devourer is like, I can get lost in a concert crowd. And it's free, so I don't need a ticket to get in. It's all so, true. I mean, if you've ever been to Central Park, there is a band shell, and they do have free concerts. Yeah. Nice. And I sent yeah. pictures of that specific band shell. <laughs> <laughs> somebody said, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. I'm, I, I used to go there all that. When I lived in the city, yeah. I would there go frequently to see the free concerts. Yeah, sense of place. Yep. Um... Daredevil's making his way through. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot happening. So Devourer was smart because there's noise and there's a lot of people. So a lot of those extrasensory powers aren't going to work. Yeah, we get the another of those black and white panels, which now I'm a little sad that the, it didn't quite come through as much as you would have liked, but it still looks sort of neat. And we can see sort of a face in that, that sensing. Yeah. So um the devourer is like oh i don't know how you found me um but then sort of catches on as he climbs into some sewers so if we gotta have sewers yes it's oh it's gotta have a sewer you gotta have a sewer and that's gonna mess up the scent trail because it's gonna smell like poop down there not gonna lie when we went to new york city i gave the manhole covers a look because i'm like what's down there yeah why, why is everything taking place in the sewers are, of New York? are there more locks is there a devourer is there oh well, you know there there are people living down there and people living in the subway tunnels and uh, that was another thing i was very fascinated with if you you've ever if you read all my work you'd be like god he just won't leave the sewers alone <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually um we have what's called the transit museum and they will actually give you tours of areas of abandoned subway areas. Oh. And you can kind of see some places where some people uh, kind of lived. Wow. That's neat. So there was a whole community. There's a whole community of people that actually live underground. They, there's a book called The Mole People. Um, and, and they're not really mole people, but they, they just live underground. And that because it's 
safe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and protected from the elements. Protected from the elements. So, yeah. So, I, and I was kind of obsessed with that, too. And there's space down there for a whole shrine. Yeah, this is where your two obsessions really meet. The Mayan culture and the sewers That's combine. Um, I'm not sure where this thing came from, but, you know, but there it is. I guess he built it. Yeah. Very fast. Yes. <laughs> and he, he just palms Daredevil's head. Yeah. And it tries to hold him under. There's a sploosh and... And a click. And uh, Devourer, this is an altar. So uh, Devourer says, you have to be sacrificed. Come on, let's do it. I have the sacrificial knife right here. And um, the whole battle scene. Yeah, another fun battle. And this is where Daredevil catches on to the idol being the source of power. Physically or metaphorically? I think both, because some flames uh emerge from it so yeah. um and he grasps it in the the middle panel up there and it's a flame of purification so it breaks the spell devour it goes off but it gets banished yeah and um we get tommy back tommy he's like i did terrible things and daredevil is like you didn't do terrible things devour did terrible things but at least his nose is healed yes um well you know that the blood you know because daredevil i mean you can't see in the visual but daredevil actually impales the statue <laughs> into the devourer's chest oh um, which is how why it, it has that flame got so it it's less of a and graph the end, yeah, of so a he says you know there's no wound well you know there would be a giant gaping wound if somebody jammed a statue in you but true Oh, maybe maybe the same blood of the devourer that uh, uh, fixed his nose, uh, fixed the wound, fixed his nose. So. Yeah. I just came up with that. Write uh, a, a second story. Um, <laughs> continue devourer's lore. That's he your next show task. Up. I, I, I'm trying to think if I, if it was, I think it was, I think in Silver Sable, I think he came, he, I did use him again. Uh, it might have been in Silver Sable. Hmm. Nice. It might have been in Morbius, which would have made a little more sense. I think it might be Morbius. I I can do a quick search. You yeah, I'm not sure. But I did, you know, because I, you know, it's like once you bother to create something, you kind of want to use it again. You think maybe yeah. somebody else will use it and nobody else. I, you know, I, I used them, I think, one more time or used them one more time. Mm hmm. And then we get the closeout to the court story. So we get the payoff from that nugget. And Matt Murdock has won the appeal. Yay. So all is right with the world. Well, at the moment. <laughs> yes. And I think that's the story. I I just looked up, and this must have been from the trading card, um, oh. on the Marvel Database wiki. Devourer is nine foot two inches tall. That's a he had a growth spurt he did. that security guard. And 880 pounds. So um, I don't know if that is self-reported, like a former president who was just indicted or not. Um, oh, that was me, actually. They, 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 when they do these cards and stuff, even for video games, they, uh, they, they will call me up. Really? I will. I didn't give any thought to it. So I, I will make I will make stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah, nine foot two. 
But it makes yeah. sense for how he just backhands Daredevil and Daredevil's left on the ground for a few moments. Yeah. Having to recover. Yeah. While he makes his escape. But he's really that 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 heavy, you know, it's you know, it's like hitting him is not going to do much. You're just gonna bounce. Right. Yeah. Which at least, yeah, that's carried through pretty well in the fight scene. Mm-hmm. We get the backup story you wrote next, and it's called On the Clock, and it follows Daredevil through a typical Daredevil day. And I was fascinated by this. You love schedules. I do love schedules, and um, just the amount of time that he spends as Daredevil versus Matt Murdock, attorney at law. Because in the middle yeah, of the afternoon, that, I, that, I thought, I, that's what I was going for, and I got really lucky because the the artist on here, Andrew Paquette, uh, is kind of a genius, um, and you know, there's no panel borders on any of this uh, inten- that he did intentionally. Um, so it was it was really cool to to see how he visualized um, what I was trying to do because it's it's almost like a silent story. Um, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, except for Daredevil blathering on about what time it is and what's going on. But uh, yeah, Andrew's a, a pretty much of a genius. Uh, either, either, he hasn't done a lot of work. He wound up going to advertising where they paid him a lot more money. Mm. Um, and for those listening, this entire backup story is three panels per page. It's three long vertical panels. It's giving very much appointment book. Like uh-huh. each, like you, what you would see for like each day. Almost, but then it, it's all like, like each hour gets its own column. Yeah. And there's some frantic tie tying. There's some running around. Like he cannot catch a break he, all day. He gets a free hot dog. I'd say that's a break um, because he helped out the vendor on a previous day. So the vendor is like, you know what? I still remember the good you did for me. So here's a free hot dog. So he gets a good snack mid afternoon. <laughs> Now, there's a terrible error in this story, though. We'll see if you find it. Oh, no. It's been a week since we've read it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's something that I wrote. Oh, no. The pressure's on. I know. You might have to spoil it for us. All right. You see that? You know that there's a panel where he's hunched on top of a building. Yep. At 4 p.m. Yeah, read 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 those. Read it out loud. You'll catch it. 4 p.m. I per. I grab some air and pretend the day's almost over. For a moment, the view convinces me that I might not be kidding myself. Then the balloon bursts. What What is going on in that second thing that he can't see? He can't see what's happening below him? A view. He's um. blind. <laughs> oh! I'm, I, you know, I missed it. The oh, yeah. missed it. You know, and I was going over and I'm going, oh. can't see the view. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it could have been the sound of the city, anything. But no, no, you know, because you forget because he doesn't move like he's blind. Right. So you have to constantly write things to remind the, the, the reader that he's blind. And there I messed that one up there. <laughs> oh, and there's no echolocation panels in this one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because, see, you know, it's like you, you, didn't, you didn't even I tell you where it is and you still didn't quite grasp it because yeah it's it's a funny character you have to remind people that he's blind all the time yeah that's uh, a great point you know but i i blew that <laughs> we see a very happy daredevil in front of 30 rock 
Um, that's fun. It's fun to see our heroes, our grim heroes, smile once in a while. Because he just returned a baby? Yes. Oh, well. Yep. And right. it, beating up a pimp, we support that. Yep. And okay. it, it, he has a long day. It ends at 11. Like it, it's hard to recap almost. Like, it's... You don't want to go hour by hour, but like the comic does, because it does the comic does such a good job. I feel like if we try to summarize what happened each hour, we wouldn't do it justice. But yeah, um, but it's very effective, I feel, as a story to give us that double life situation. And it, it's the day in the life, and it doesn't need to be anything like super villainous either. It like a normal mundane day is not mon- mundane, like it's still very full. That's kind of what always... I was going for. I, I, I always, I, I love time in comics. You know, it's like every time I call it a comic, I would call the writer. And it's like, well, when does this happen? How long is this story? What's going on? And they would have no clue. So I would make the decision. I would say, okay, well, I'm going to color it so it's morning here. And we'll go through the day uh, until sunset. Mm. But that gave the reader a sense of how long something takes. Because a lot of times people write stories and they don't really think about time. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of an important part of a story. I mean, you think of your own day, Mm -hmm. um, you wake up in the morning and you go sit down at the computer and, oh, Facebook's a lot of fun today. And the next thing you know, it's two o'clock and you haven't had lunch and you're like, where did my day go? Yeah. Yes. And uh, some I uh, writers, I think the best writers have that sense of time, even if it's never come through. And I'm thinking of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien because. uh, oddly enough, Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, has most of Tolkien's papers because he needed money in the 50s and they bought them. So <laughs> they do showings once in a while and it, they show how he developed the Lord of the Rings. And behind oh. the scenes, he had charts. He had tons of stuff like the phases of the moon. And it's a an old school spreadsheet. It is the phases of the moon up top and where the characters were in terms of the fel- fellowship as it related to phases of the moon, which never comes That's into cool. play in the story at all. The... But for him as a creator, it helped him write a better story by yeah. understanding what they were living through. I wonder if it's just in through. They need the moonlight for Moria to get in. But then, like, is it just so not throwaway lines, but like scene setting language of like. And it, it helps when you're thinking about seasons as well, because that comes into play a little bit in the Shire, you know, in terms of harvest and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it just it helped him create um, just knowing, OK, it's not just where the characters are in proximity to themselves, but what's happening at large in this world it's such a complex world that he creates mm-hmm. it has to keep straight um you know and, and once he got past the hobbits eating like mushrooms for 500 pages you know there's a <laughs> lot there's a lot of stuff that happens it's actually very important um yeah you just have to slog through some of some of the stuff here and there um but it, it's an impressive thing you know and you know it's like it's it's no wonder peter jackson needed to make the uh, extended versions which i love um they're a chore to sit through because they're just too long Uh, (laughs) but you know i really i like seeing all that detailed stuff and there's stuff that didn't in that i I wish this was in there and i wish that character so it's cool to see that he was using phases of the moon it's like he probably had a plan of some kind to use that in the story 
and it probably is in there it's just that we can't find it yeah yeah um but that's pretty fascinating that that's cool we get our second backup story yeah so what uh... You had primary responsibility in terms of constructing the Daredevil stuff. Right. So uh, how does a backup story like this find its way into an annual about Daredevil? Um, it's, because it's, 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 it's interesting because it's, you know, sometimes you're, you're, you are hired to just write stories that have the character in it that relate to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they have inventory stories that have been written for the book that never got used but might fit into an annual so they can then do that i don't know if this was a backup uh, was a, a fill-in at one point um and i think i think this was i'm not sure if this no this this may have been a fill-in that was done before scott mcdaniel got on the book okay because scott was actually a good friend of glenn uh hurdling who wrote this story i believe um mm -hmm. he had brought him in to the spider-man office before you know and he did some backups in there so this could have been a backup story that glenn pitched to ralph uh, the editor at the time uh, ralph said sure you know we could use this as a backup story no baby use my buddy scott um and then by the time this annual came about and this was finished, they may have said, hey, you know, Scott's now doing Daredevil and it would be good to have Scott uh, this backup on that. Or, you know, they could have just Scott could have done this at the same time. So it's it's hard to say on, on this because I, yeah. I don't know. But it's it's a long story. So mm. it feels my like theory. it, it might have been a fill in. Um, but it just, you know, that just happened to fit into here or. Uh, you know, because normally I would have written all the I, I frequently mm -hmm. wrote all the stories in the annuals because I'm I'm a greedy pig. Uh, <laughs> and there was they were probably sick of me writing about the fat boys. I had this weird <laughs> obsession with the little skateboard kids. Uh, <laughs> and everybody's like, why do you keep writing stories about them? I'm like, I don't know. I really like those characters. You know, it's <laughs> fun to kind of write a story through the eyes of of children. Um yeah. especially, you know, these little rough roughneck kids that um you know, Anasenti created that those characters and John Romita Jr. drew them and I just love the way they did it. And then when I got to work with June Brigman doing those characters, I really liked him because June is another unbelievable uh, talent that doesn't get, you know, enough credit. Um, I should have asked for her to do one of the Daredevil annuals. I think she would have done a beautiful um, job with that. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know where this one came from. Um, you know, it's a, it's a cool story. It's got some great art by Scott McDaniel. Um, and I'm trying to think of it. Does it introduce a new character too, or no? I don't know if they're new. Yeah, and it, my theory about the backup story is, like you mentioned, inventory stories. It might not be specifically with this one, but with other annuals, I feel that some of the stories were destined for uh, Marvel Comics Presents or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, we had a lot of that. Well, Where... the very first story I ever wrote, it's funny, this came up recently. The very first story I ever wrote, or I should say I co-wrote it with the great Dwayne McDuffie, um was this black knight story for solo avengers that i was the assistant editor on mm -hmm. and mark runnell had made me rewrite my my story three or four times and i was i just said i i'm sick of this 
Um, I thought, well, you know, I'll go to my writing partner who did not work at Marvel at the time. Dwayne did not work at Marvel, but he and I have been doing, we're writing screenplays together that we never sold. And he said, let's take, you know, how about you and I take another crack at this story? And I said, you know, you know, if, if it sells, you'll get paid, you'll get in. And, and we sold that story. And we, so immediately after that, we went, oh, this is great. So we did a Wonder Man story. That one sold. So we were, that, that was the beginning of our, our writing careers. But that Black Knight story, um, I managed to get this little known artist named Alan Davis to draw it. <laughs> oh, wow. But Alan drew it. And we certainly didn't deserve an artist that of that caliber. You know, anything <laughs> that's really good about that story is all Alan. Uh, and Paul Neary was inking it, you know, who was the guy that was normally inking him, but it took them forever. So it sat around waiting to be done until Soul Avengers was no longer a book. So it wound up as an inventory, as a piece of inventory that went into Marvel superheroes, which was this anthology title created specifically as a dumping place for all <laughs> the stories that were left over um from you know things like marvel comics presents or solo avengers or was one of the thousands of inventory stories that uh just never got published um so that that did happen a lot you know um mm -hmm. you always wanted an inventory story when somebody messed up and the schedule was dead that you could slot in um I mean, there's a fill-in story you know when frank miller was done with his run on daredevil with david mazzucchelli um, it was the next story was supposed to be uh, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, but something had gone wrong and that wasn't getting done. So this Danny Fingeroth story went in with maybe Alan Kupperberg or something. But retail people had ordered, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies of this mm -hmm. story, thinking it was the Miller <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Simonson story and were furious because um, it wasn't returnable. Oh, uh, for some reason, uh, you know, but so, you know, Danny, Danny got a lot of royalties from and it, not that it was a bad story, but it, it's not Miller and uh, that, you know, so there were some stories in inventory in there. And Anna Senti had written an inventory story that was going to go in um, because they'd hired Steve Englehart to do Daredevil. And some something happened that, you know, he they hated what he did or he irritated somebody and they needed to fire him. Uh, they didn't know what to do, but they read the Ann Nascenti one and they went, this one's really good. And they said, Ann, do you have any actual ideas? And she, oh, of course she had ideas. Uh, and then yep. Ann wound up as the regular writer on Daredevil, um, probably from this fill-in that she'd written, um, which unlike a lot of fill-ins where they're not very good because you have to pick up the character at this point and leave them at that point. You can't, you know, it's the thing with the annuals. I, I can't change anything. You know, I'm stuck mm -hmm. with whatever the current continuity is. Um, but Anne is not your typical writer. So whatever that story was that she wrote brought something new to the character in such a way that allowed her to get that gig. And she did a wonderful, uh, run on Daredevil, which, you know, I wouldn't want to follow Frank Miller. Um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah, she, she did great. So I, and I colored a lot of the issues that she did, which is kind of fun. So I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Daredevil was my was one of my favorite characters, so I was very happy that I got to write the annuals and uh, and I got to write like a five issue story arc in Daredevil at one point. So nice. that was a lot of fun. So this third backup story, which we don't know how it got here, but it's here. It's called. But it's here. And it's got some really awesome art. So yeah, um, and it, the art is very evocative of the subject matter, which is a bayou outside of New Orleans um and 
I there was a PBS Digital Studios has lots of little shorts, and they did one of the difference between voodoo and hoodoo. Hmm. But there's some I can't remember which is which. But there's some of that happening. There's a whole like zombie resurrection, and I might have gotten a little lost into like who this person was enemies with, and then the enemy became the zombie for this person. But overall, the zombie was put back to rest in the spot in the dirt. And this woman is there in the craven look. Yeah, I mean, the art itself, we get the the introduction to the story on one page. Then we get two double page spreads to tell the story. And like you said, Gregory, the art is just fantastic in how everything is broken up and how the story is being told in in a very atypical way. Um, The first double page spread is very organic um and visceral because it's telling that zombie story it's giving the background right so it there's a a lot of uh, these little blobs yeah because the in the middle of the two-page spread is the zombie itself yes um and then we get the tree beneath which the zombie is buried and we get a geometric layout for four of the panels as well it's just it's super cool to look at it's it's you know it's this is one of those cases where you know the art in the backup story is better than the art in the the main story um this is just so intriguing looking art with it whether you read the story or not you look at the art and you're just like wow yeah Uh, and that's 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 a little bit strange that that would occur which kind of also leads me to wonder where this story came from. Cause I remember when I saw this, I was like, you know, this maybe would have made a better lead story. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, maybe I'll reach out to Glenn and ask him directly. How'd this yeah. story end up here? Where, when you wrote this, how was it originally contracted? So yeah, it's a very, it's a very, a very cool story. Yeah. And the graphics are just, oh, they're so, you know, I, I, you know, this is my kind of stuff. <laughs> so the the witch lady takes down slash rips the heart out of the old guy who had been recounting the tale. She uses it to revive. Um, and there's a, on the bottom of this other two-page spread, the panels get larger and larger as it goes across the page left to right, which mm-hmm. is a neat effect. It's beautiful. Uh, love that yeah take the soul out of that dude it does the zombie comes alive i and i feel this is thematic maybe it was picked for a backup for this because of how you had written and worked with your team on graphically displaying your story as well because you know it, it could just be you know it's a creepy story it's you know um, it kind of fits with what you know. Again, it's this is not what I call a Daredevil story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, nowhere to so be. So it seen. kind of works with the the not Daredevil story from the beginning. Um, yeah, very strange. But I, I what I love about you know the, this sequence that you're talking about here is these are a lot of little panels, and this mm-hmm. is a time where a lot of artists are forgetting to tell any story whatsoever and all you're getting is the big splash page um you know so when i would write 
stories, I would write in bigger images for the artists to draw in hopes that they wouldn't suddenly decide to put them in where they don't belong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in the lead story, I give the splash page where we finally, where we see the devourer in all his glory. That deserves a splash. It's effective. Um, it, it wouldn't have been effective to see a, a splash page of the guy with his broken nose. Um, um, right. So what's not, I love here is, you know, where Scott and Glenn have, have chosen to use these little panels and, and it's just so effective, you know, to see um, what's happening and you can get this sense of pacing and then you know, the hand comes up and I love the panel where the one hand is up and the other one's reaching up and then you get the close up of the girl's face and it, it doesn't occur to you that those are actually very small panels. Yeah. They're still incredibly effective. Yeah, yeah. The, the art is saturated within them and coupled with the story, yeah, you don't notice that there are such small panels because you're drawn in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's using the medium, you know, the way it's supposed to be used, really. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do Tell love her. This <laughs> I like her exclaiming, oh, my exquisite mass of rotted flesh. What feats of strength can you perform to please me? And he rips a tree out of the ground. And she's like, wow. Yeah, that works. <laughs> you are ready for battle. You need a worthy opponent. And she conjures a devil. The demon from the cover that Daredevil is battling on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and we learn that this is a Daredevil because there's, it took me a few images to realize it, but there's a double D. Mm, there is on the chest. A, a battle ensues. It, th- this Daredevil has a forked tongue. Also massive canines. And they're just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, their daredevil gets quickly out of control. And she shouts, um, you know, kill him. Come on, zombie. I know you're strong enough. And uh, it, I mean, even the bat, there's another double page spread where uh, a lot of the battle happens. And the graphic design on it is even it's different from everything else that we've seen in this issue with the panel design it's and this time it's symmetric it's a little bit more angular and it creates like this window for the main image of the double spread Mm -hmm. to happen in between it's just really neat it i mean it's hard to describe a a story that's predominantly about a battle um between a zombie and a daredevil Oh, that's it <laughs> yeah it, it that that's it um it it's a battle um the daredevil it, it runs away so it's still in the world somewhere um in the marvel universe there is this daredevil demon floating around yep um and the zombie is showing some amount of rebellion mm-hmm. and it looks like she's hitting it with a steel chair, like it's a wrestling match <laughs> in this one panel. Yes, it's a hardcore match that she's in, and um, she realizes that zombies can have independent thoughts; they can act on their own, but not out of selfish interests. So this zombie wanted to free the soul of um, oh, the old guy that 
let them put them down to rest the first time. Yes. Because they're friends. Yes. So, Calypso has reserved love just for one. It's a table for one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. I, it's not a complex story, but it's a very complex art style that tells the story which i think is the compelling piece yeah yeah you know that was the you know i mean it's kind of a good point you know where you know i've I've been doing a lot of columns uh Mm -hmm. you know on my facebook page describing things how things really work because i got got very irritated with the know-it-all fans that think they know everything and and the historians that think they know everything but have never actually made a comment um and this is one of those cases where the story is not terribly impressive, like you say, but the artwork, um, you know, really is. Um, but the Scott wouldn't have drawn this cool stuff without, you know, the idea for this story, which um, I, my guess is the two of them probably collaborated on, you know, what would you like to draw? That would be cool. Yep. Uh, but I, I, I do wonder where, where was this supposed to be going? Yeah. Because uh, it, it's not a Daredevil story, though. It's got this Daredevil-ish thing yeah, uh, yeah calypso's a new character i don't know if i i'm sure glenn used calypso again someplace mm-hmm. um so it could have been you know what it could have been was you know glenn you know went and said hey i got this character calypso i want to use uh you know in one of these annuals and it didn't fit in uh, another annual and ralph said hey i could use it for this um, yeah be an interesting uh interesting to know and i am kind of like when it was done because i you know i don't know if this was this is before Scott started using his more black and white looking style. Hmm. But this is where he had, he was really coming into his own because, you know, when he showed up, he was kind of doing sort of a cross between Bagley and um, McFarlane. And it was a little strange looking. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, he started doing this really great stuff on on Daredevil. Uh, and I don't know, maybe this was what got him the Daredevil job. I You know, there's, maybe. A, there's a lot of interesting stuff to find out from glenn uh or scott um on this story but yeah i wish i had the black and whites of the i mean this one's colored pretty nicely but i would love to see the black and whites on the because i didn't see this story or know anything about it until the annual came out oh Oh, surprise uh, (laughs) i you know i wrote i wrote it and i did my part and you know then uh, all, you know, and that was the end of it. So, you know, sometimes you don't know exactly what, you know, I, you know, so when the cover came out, I was like, what is this? I didn't even know it was the cover to my annual. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I could barely see the devourer, mm-hmm. um, you know, because annuals are weird. They're, they're almost like this pain in the butt thing that the editors really didn't want to do, especially mm-hmm. when they were like these big crossovers, which can suck. Nobody likes crossovers because you wind up having meeting after meeting where nobody really agrees about anything. And then you wind up settling for whatever people can tolerate the most and then you got to write each you got to write your part and you got to really be on time because you need reference mm-hmm. so it worked out when uh dg chichester and i did uh we did one with it was the punisher captain america and daredevil that worked out because the two of us are like best buds and we, we just worked together so we we thought the whole story up ourselves I, I wrote the daredevil he did the cap and then we co-wrote the the punisher one so that one was really easy. But some of these other ones where you're trying to pick up, you know, where you left off with somebody else and, you know, you're stuck with stuff. So it becomes like, ah, uh, you know, so <laughs> plus I can't I can't change the character at all. 
Um, maybe that's why I like the fat boys because no, you know, Anasanti didn't care what I did with them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like, "That's fine, you, Gregory." Yeah, we'll have, have fun. But yeah, it's funny. It's funny that and the Wild Boys was the other one that I got obsessed with. Those stupid characters that she came up with, and, <laughs> and uh, the guy with the the gun that could turn into an arm, Bushwhacker. Oh. Uh, well, I, I used him all over the place um, in, in my other books. He showed up in almost every other book I used. As, and can I play with this character? Yes, go right ahead. <laughs> um, but I could never write, you know, her Typhoid Mary character. I tried to write that character and I couldn't write that character. Um, oh. There was something about the way Anne came up with that character and, and wrote her dialogue and her motivations that I just couldn't. I couldn't wrap my head around as much as I loved the idea of that character, that Electra. Um, mm. the last, the last uh, annual that I wrote, I think is not as 10. And that okay. one, they said, you have to use Electra and Shang-Chi and then Sh shield wants Shang-Chi to be a sh an agent of shield. I knew nothing of Shang-Chi. <laughs> I could read, you know, like 40 issues of, of Shang-Chi uh, and then I had to figure out how to modernize him for today. Yeah, uh, and I had to use Electra. I was like, you know, I really don't think I don't. I just feel like nobody should have used Electra except for Frank Miller. Um, but I thought my my buddy Dan, when he brought Electra into the Daredevil, I thought he did a great job figuring out how to use her for today. But after that, people just used her for whatever, mm -hmm. uh, and then she was not special anymore. So I uh -huh. really didn't like writing that annual with her, and then with Shang Chi, and then people were like, this is my favorite thing you've written. I'm like really yeah. <laughs> like man um, you know but you just yeah that's the thing you you never know what you know i tried to write stories i thought the audience would like but i was always trying to amuse myself mm -hmm. um, or it's it's very interesting when people got a different read on what i wrote than i intended which means that i did it i did it wrong you know if it's not my intent's not coming through that's my fault that's not somebody else's fault you know mm -hmm. so in Silver Sable, at one point, there was an article talking about my secret lesbian assassination squad. And I was like, my secret what? <laughs> I was like, when did I do that? That's a great idea. Uh, and it happened to be my one character, Chen, who was a lesbian. Always mm -hmm. a lesbian. Um, she used to work with this female assassination group. And she was having a romantic relationship with one of them. Mm -hmm. Somehow, I guess, when I did the story with them... <laughs> Because there was one that was a lesbian. Apparently, it felt like they were all this weird lesbian squad. I'm like, wow, I would have written this totally different. I said, I would have I would have <laughs> had a lot more fun talking to a bunch of people to figure out how to make this more fun. I said, they never would have let me. But I, when I read it, I went, I can see how you might see that. But no, that yeah. wasn't. Uh, and, you know, and I'm trying to be subtle because there wasn't, you know, if you were, if you at that time, you just couldn't do these kind of characters you know and i thought that's ridiculous you know um i have lots of friends that are all over the place with stuff especially in comics you know writers and artists uh they're not all just straight white guys mm -hmm. you know it's a whole you know diverse uh group of people but everything is defaulted to the straight white character so you know i write a story if i don't specifically tell you what it is doesn't matter who the artist is they won't just draw me a black character or uh, a female character or a Spanish character, they will draw that same shaped straight white guy. And I said, I can't have that. So I started thinking really hard. Okay, what do I want? Um, and I wouldn't necessarily tell the artist if I was going to create a gay character because they would always draw this weird 
you know, stereotypical. I'm like, no, they're mm-hmm. like, well, they're all, no, they're not. How do you know? I said, because nobody that I know behaves like that. <laughs> How many people do you know? And I said, hundreds. And they said, no. And I said, every once in a while, yeah. So there's somebody, but that's not this character. Um, but it was weird because, you know, I couldn't understand how a lot of my black artists would never draw. I said, just draw somebody black. I can do that. I'm like, yeah, it's, there's, it's not specified. So I said, okay, I'm going to, and I started specifying body shapes. Otherwise you got that same exact body shape. And I'm like, no, you know, there could be a hero who's short or who is heavier and mm-hmm. women come in all kinds of different sizes and people dress differently. Everybody doesn't have to have the same haircut. Um, but it was funny because the artists really enjoyed, you know, having to actually think and draw a different kind of character. But there was artists that they drew every character like like Captain America, you know, because th- there was an artist who was on Daredevil and he did this one panel of Daredevil taking one hand and ripping a car door up and throwing it about 60 feet. Mm. I, I had to say, I said, um, first off, Daredevil doesn't weigh about 250 pounds of muscle. He's not 6'3". He's about my size. Uh, he's about 170 pounds. And he can't grab a car door and rip it off with his arm. Why not? Because he's like a regular strength guy. Yeah. yeah. All characters could do that. No, they're not. And I'm not sure Captain America could just rip a door off like that. The Hulk could. Yes. He had no actual understanding that the characters were different. Um, and I was like, okay, now I have to make sure every new artist gets a little speech on what it specifically this character can do. Because with Daredevil, yeah. you don't really draw him wandering around as a blind guy unless he's Matt Murdock, in which, you know, then you got the glasses, you know, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't move like a, a blind person moves. So you have to really think about that. So, you know, when you write things like The View, um, and I can't believe nobody mm-hmm. caught that. I never, ever had anybody even. you know it's like wow you know so it's funny you know the years later you go back and you read stuff and you kind of cringe what was i thinking there and then i go maybe i didn't write that bit of dialogue maybe the editor (laughs) (laughs) um because that would happen sometimes you know you would Mm -hmm. if if what you did wasn't so clear the editor would sometimes add something or in in my case I, i was frequently doing things that were potentially not appropriate um and they would have to change uh things um but i would tell my artists i didn't i didn't want to see those um those shots of of crotches and butts that that Mm. no i said i that's not what this character is about if i write a character that's like that so when we did the penis issue of silver sable with the uh, penis god (laughs) what um (laughs) i I had i said here's your here's your opportunity she's having an orgasm on panel you would think somehow somebody would have noticed that at marvel nope no. it was in print and then people went is she i'm like yeah <laughs> how did you not you missed it and was bob budiansky caught like the last issue and he goes priapus is that what i think it means and we're like yeah and he's like what the hell i'm like well five five issues have gone out of this crossover uh, and of course they reprinted that in the cage uh trade paperback yes uh, and i was like really of all the stories you know and somebody said well why did you write that well we wanted to see what we could get away with <laughs> and we were all three of us were working with clive barker at the time uh and clive was all about uh you know you know very sexy monster stuff and i don't know so we just said let's see if we what we and we thought people will notice this no they didn't really promote it which we were promised and then hardly anybody read it 
And it was only later that the company went, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know why you're trusting me, you know, you know, but that they, you know, they, they trusted me most of the time. If my name was attached, they, they well, he won't do anything to harm us. So <laughs> I was always saying, what can I get away with? Yeah. Um, One of our favorite new characters, uh, Nocturne, was as close to them being able to say that she's a lesbian. Um, there are all these little coded pieces of it. Yeah. Um, how she talked about her um, her police partner, but then also like the personal aspect of it came through. The photos in the apartment came through, and they're just like, oh wow, they they dodged the code on that to be able to. What's well, what I did with Chen? I, I if you were looking, it was there, but I mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to you know, specifically say, I was surprised I did an abortion story and I was actually allowed to use the word abortion. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that, you know, and then later they came, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, like, what are you having her do? And I'm like, I'm not telling you, you know, <laughs> you can't have her get an abortion. I said, she's not, well, she can't have a baby. I said, she's not. Well, I don't want her having a miscarriage. She's not. What are you doing? <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> but I wanted, I, you know, cause I, I'm, you know, my politics are, you know, I'm, I'm very woke, I guess, but even back then, <laughs> I believe in, you know, choice, you know, and I said, mm -hmm. well, let's flip this story around. I did a story where I said, well, what if Silver Sable was presented with no choice? Um, so her doctors, they scheduled an abortion. Um, they said, oh, you're pregnant, by the way. And it was like a nothing. And she lost her mind. But I mm -hmm. got to do the story of her considering her options. Um, and she had made her decision, which was she was going to keep it. And then, oops, uh, it was a computer error and you weren't mm -hmm. pregnant after all. But it made me, I was able to do this story and I kept saying, well, I said, how would you like it if it was the other way around, you know? Um, so I was able to do that. And I don't know if I would shove my politics down people's throats quite as much as I did back then, but nobody complained. Uh, today, you know, everything you do, well, clearly you only did this because, no, I, I, cause I did this because it was a good story. Yeah. yeah. Part of the story for me, uh, it's a female character. All, all women at some point have to consider certain things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's fun now because I do a lot of I do a lot of podcasts and they're a lot of fun. And I find all these people who've actually read this stuff and they were picking up on some of the stuff that I was doing back then that to me was very important that nobody was seemed to care about. Um, and so it's very satisfying when people say, oh, you know, I, I love that you you represented here. I love that you had this character here. And, you know, was this the first one? And it's like, well, yeah, Chen was one of the first gay characters. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, North Star was actually there first. But again, nobody was allowed to say anything up until they 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 outed him. And, you know, now it's fine. You know, you, you can do yeah. all that. But we, we've come a, a long way with subject matter that we're allowed to do because it's amazing. You know, like a corrupt police officer wasn't allowed at one point in a comic book. Um, right. Politicians. I got a lot of crap when I, I did religious figures that were corrupt. I'm like. This is not meant to suggest that every single priest is this. That's this priest. And I said, you should have gotten the clue from the other two priests that are in the story that are different. Mm -hmm. But they see that one thing. And I'm like, I really don't care what the Catholic Church thinks of anything, I think. <laughs> stuff, you know, um, I write these stories. I said, if it bothers somebody, sometimes good. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I said, this is the story that I, I wrote it. I'll stand by it. You know, I mean, some of them I go, oh, that dialogue was terrible. Or, uh, you know, I accidentally, I hate it when I accidentally do something that bothers somebody. I'm doing it in purpose most of the time. Yeah. yeah. 
but you know, I had people, you know, well, I, you know, my Southern racist, or, you know, we don't, we're not all like that. And I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. That's why I brought her sit his sister in. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't talk like him. Who doesn't have, who isn't like this. Oh, like, yeah. I said, it's not meant to be that. Um, but it's funny. My, my friend, Dwayne McDuffie, he, before he bought, passed away, he had done, um, uh, this series and you talked about things and you talked about you know like if you're doing a black character that character always no matter what you do it seems to represent the black community says but if you've got three or four now you can suddenly write actual real interesting characters because it's okay if one of them sucks because the other ones balance it out mm-hmm. and you know but it was it, but he said it way better than, than that which <laughs> is when they created milestone what was interesting is you'll never see characters as diverse as the milestone characters because they just did every character that you were never allowed to do. And that was part of it. We weren't allowed to do certain things at Marvel and they just did all of them. And they had a huge lush world filled with all kinds of people that were like that. So it, it, you never could look at it and go, Oh, look, they're picking on this group. But no, they, they didn't do that. You know, the bad guys came in all flavors. The good guys came in all flavors. And a lot of people were in that gray zone of, you know, where most of us actually live. Sometimes we do something shitty to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily define us as a shitty person. Um, it's true. You know, we've all done something shitty at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, or everyone that shares the same characteristic as us. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but, you know, when in a, in a comic, you know, it's, it, it, they tend to be ciphers, you know, you're blah, 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 which is kind of what I like about Daredevil is, you know, uh, you know, he's got the law and then, you know, being Daredevil is a very unlawful thing. So I, I love that, that sort of um, balance. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, so I, you know, he can solve the problem as Daredevil that he can't solve as the law, but he really believes in the law, um, which is, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I like that uh, for myself. So. Yeah. Well, nice. thank you so much for joining us, for giving us insight not only into the creation of the story, but how the creative team works and how the backups get in there. Yes. Um, or, or positing theories, how the backups get in there. Well, you know, sometimes you're just asked to do them because some of the backups in a lot of annuals, they really had nothing to do with the annual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked it better. You know, I loved when I made the one, the ones that flowed into each other. I thought that was the most, fun thing ever and the artists wanted to kill me because they, they had to wait to get the scene here so i tried to like make it okay daredevil goes into an alley here and this is what happens in the alley that you don't see in, yeah in this story um but i thought you know i don't know I, I tried to do stuff that when i was a kid buying comics that you know what what got me excited when i i read the comics other than you know they were comics and you know mm-hmm. the art was really cool you know so i you know, and I'll steal from stuff. You know, I like this. Um, you know, so that's that's why I'm so jealous of this issue. You know, that backup story. The visuals are just so great in that that backup <laughs> story. Um, you know, and looking at it again, I'm like, man, those are so good. Um, yeah. Um, and I've never gotten a chance to write anything for Scott uh, to do. I've I've colored him on the Green Goblin series that we did at, at Marvel. Yeah. Um, nice. But he's one of those guys I would love to have had him uh, draw a story but at least he created the devourer yes absolutely so as we wind down the episode where can people find you to uh, get more of your insights or more of your delicious food pictures well if you, food pictures you find me on instagram at g right stuff um sometimes they show up on facebook as well facebook it's easy to find me on facebook um 
Uh, and I am on Blue Sky now at G Wright at Blue Sky. If you ever find your way to Blue Sky, which is mm -hmm. really weird because you have to wait till somebody gives you an invite. And I don't have any invites yet. So I'm waiting to get some so I can pass them out to some people. Um, but so far, I like Blue Sky because it's it's not um, not a shit show like Twitter. Mm -hmm. I am on Twitter. Uh, you, you can find me there. Um, that's where you can find me. Uh, most of the comic book stuff and my stories that I, I tell and the essays, they're all there on on Facebook. Uh, and there's lots of comic book groups that I'm a part of that I, you know, I, I like answering questions. You know, when fans want to know stuff, um, if it's something that I'm a lot, I, I feel that I can reveal, I will mm -hmm. happily uh, answer. I happily answer questions as you probably, you know, any questions. Yeah. You can answer them. Um, so, yeah, you can find me on there's also a comic book editors. Um, Facebook page. Uh, so for anybody that's interested in learning about how editing works, uh, I contribute to that page uh, quite a bit. Very cool. I'm easy well, to find. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. I hope people seek you out and ask you questions and get more revelations. Yes. Um, and I hope that everyone listening tunes in next week as we continue our review of the 27 annuals that Marvel put out in 1993. Um, you can find us on Instagram at X Factor Files Podcast, and we will catch you next time. Be well. Bye. Bye.